Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Today is October 16th. I'm your host, Eric Clark. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Uh, This week's guest is a really interesting guest. Um, I had someone on with the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Association, which is a national nonprofit organization, and uh, they have a local chapter here in Wisconsin. Now, when I say interesting guest, I say that because... Um, you know, I say on every episode, this is the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Um, I love public land. I love it so much. I love it for more reasons than I could possibly try to think of uh, off the cuff. But um, this is, is an organization that stands to help maintain what we have and not lose it. Um, and also fight for some of the different things that make that land great or can make it better. For instance, we talked a little bit about um, how there's a law in Wisconsin that railroad tracks um, divide public property and that if you actually cross that railroad track, you would technically be trespassing. And hunters have gotten fines for this kind of stuff. It sounds ridiculous, but this is the kind of organization that stands up for conservationism and sportsmen and and goes to lobby on our behalf, um, whether it's, excuse me, catch my breath here, whether it's locally or they go to Washington on our behalf. This is a great organization, so I'm a big believer in everything they stand for, especially since um, our guest Jeff explained everything so well and so eloquently. Um, So I really do hope everyone enjoys this episode and that uh, you can find a way to participate some way, shape, or form, or hopefully just appreciate it. So I want to thank everybody for listening and tuning in. Um, If you you like what you hear on the show, by the way, uh, a review on iTunes would mean a lot to me. And uh, a good, it would be a good show of faith that I got some people out there that actually do like the show and or listen to it. And honestly, any feedback is great feedback. Um, to that same thought, there was some feedback that I got, and I wanted to respond on this particular episode to just one simple piece of that. Um, it sounds like I may have come off on the last episode with Dan Infault. Um, maybe, maybe I came off this way. So it's, it's great feedback uh, where I, I came off in such a way where I may have been... Um, creating some sort of hierarchy or, or knocking people that use different brand name, whether it's uh, bows or camouflage or boots or anything like that. Definitely not my intention. And I'm glad that someone had mentioned that to me because what I want to say is uh, my actual intention is simply that I want to convey that you just don't need that stuff to, to enjoy hunting and, or to get, if you're, if you're really trying to challenge yourself to get a bigger animal um, it's just not fully necessary I'll be the first to admit that uh, I rock all sorts of different brands. I have um, 
muddy or muck boots. Uh, I have an Under Armour overshirt. I have some Huntworth gloves. I got a, a kind of like a, um, a mutt kind of organization of hunting supplies that I use. So definitely not against anything like that at all. I just want to convey that it's not necessary. It's not mandatory. It's not needed. And I say that because I think that um, I'm definitely a novice when it comes to hunting, though I've been doing it for a long time. I'm not as experienced as some due to the fact that I don't get too much time in the woods um, every year. But that said, um, it's one of those things where I think a lot of beginners uh, may be listening to the show. And for that fact alone, getting into hunting can be very expensive. And I don't want people to think that they can't get into hunting because they can't afford all of the expensive gear. Simply getting some of these different things, whether it's your first bow or camouflage or blaze orange on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist is is just as good a place to get some of that stuff. So that's all I mean when I say that kind of stuff is that it's not necessary. Um, hopefully I don't offend anybody. It's definitely not my intent here. Definitely want to inform and educate hunters in any way, shape, or form. So that said, I'm going to go ahead and bring our guest on for this week, and I hope you do enjoy. Thank you. Okay, so this week we have with us a guest, um, Jeff Gerard. Jeff is with the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and uh, he's with the local Wisconsin chapter. So I want to go ahead and welcome Jeff onto the show. Jeff, thanks for being here. No problem, Eric. Thanks for having me. Heck yeah. And, uh, man, you are one patient man, so thank you so much for being on the show. Anytime, anytime. Super cool. Well, um, just because I like to get some of these housekeeping uh, items out of the way at the front end of the show, uh, why don't we go ahead and just tell people um, where they can find backcountry hunters and anglers, and specifically the Wisconsin chapter, whether that's on social media or the website, that kind of stuff. Sure. So the national organization can be found on Instagram at Backcountry Hunters, on Facebook at Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and at our website, backcountryhunters.org. Specifically for the Wisconsin chapter, you just add WI at the end of that for most of it. So on Instagram, it's at Backcountry Hunters WI. And then we have a specific Facebook page, which is Wisconsin Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, a specific group that you can go and check us out there and um, on the national website, you can see, uh, just click on Wisconsin and you'll get all of our information, uh, on there. Rock on. That's exactly what I was looking for. Thank you. Well, uh, the, the meat of it is, um, you know, we're going to open up to public land hunting a little bit, but let's start with introducing yourself, maybe your general background, how many years you've been hunting, what do you love to hunt, public, private, and what type sure. of animals, all that good stuff. Sure. So. I grew up in a small town called Winnicott, Wisconsin, which is about nine miles west of Oshkosh. I grew up hunting and fishing there since I can remember with my dad. I mean, I've been, you know, tagging along with him since I've been three or four years old. I moved to the Milwaukee area when I went to college at Marquette and stayed here since about 2000 when I when I started and went to law school at Marquette after I graduated college there. I do hunt private land for deer like most people in Wisconsin, and then I hunt public land for just about everything else I hunt in Wisconsin, turkeys, bears, uh, waterfowl, everything like that. And uh, what I think you asked me what I like hunting the most, I, I think I like hunting elk out west the most, which I've done all on public land a number of times. Yep. Uh, but... If I could hunt anything, I guess the rest of my life, it would be like everyone else, probably Wisconsin, whitetails, just because you don't have the opportunity to go out west 
anytime I want. And here in Wisconsin, you know, we can hunt whitetails just about every weekend from September through, I guess, through December with the muzzleloader and the archery season. So if I could hunt anything else the rest of my life, it would probably be whitetails. That's a great way to look at it. Hunting, you know, what do you, what would you choose to hunt the rest of your life? That's a pretty cool way to put it. I feel like, uh, the elk thing for me sounds like a once in a lifetime opportunity. Do you hunt elk with a uh, bow gun or have you done both? One or the other? I've, I've only, I've only hunted it with a rifle. I, I do definitely want to hunt it with a bow eventually one day, but uh, so far it's only been with a rifle. Sure. How far was the, the longest shot you got to take? I've only shot one and it was about 200 yards. Nice. That's awesome. I was just talking to a friend about scopes for guns who's getting into hunting, and I said, it might be a weird thing to consider because I know you're only just getting into whitetail hunting, but this hunting thing's addicting, and it catches on quick. So you might get into, you might start to graduate into elk and other things, and you might want to look at a scope that can really kind of grow with you as you get into hunting. And it's just an interesting topic. Yeah, absolutely. You can talk forever on optics, and especially out west, it's, super super important i think they say you should spend 80 percent of your money on optics and 20 percent of your money on the rifle that's nuts that's nuts and that's kind of yeah. i'm about 50 50 actually the gun and the optics cost the same but the gun was used the optics yeah. weren't so eh, maybe yeah I, I yeah i think yeah. one one company that's been great to backcountry hunters and anglers has been vortex and they're a wisconsin company so i always push them anytime i can they've that's been good to hear really good to us as a chapter um, i see them around a lot that's good to know and, that they're they're local and they take good care of you guys. Well, um, I'll kind of move it along just a little bit here, but let's talk about uh, backcountry hunters and anglers, BHA for short, right? Yes. Let's just talk about that as an organization insofar as, you know, what's the mission and, and or vision of, of backcountry hunters and anglers from your perspective? Sure. We're a conservation and advocacy organization working on behalf of our public lands and waters. So there's a couple of different aspects to that. Uh, first, we are here to keep public lands in public hands. So there's a push right now at a national level to transfer federally owned public lands to the states. And when I say federally owned lands, I mean like your national forests, your national wildlife refuges, and land that's owned by the Bureau of Land Management or the BLM and also your national parks. Okay. So we would we would be in favor of keeping those in in federal hands instead of state hands. And there's a couple of different reasons for that. And the, the main one is that once historically it's been shown once land is transferred from the federal government to the state government, the state governments have a way of selling them off because while the federal government holds them to you know, for our use so we can hunt, so we can fish, so we can hike state governments typically hold them to make money off those lands. And when the lands are no longer profitable and they can't afford them, they sell them off. Hmm. So keeping the, the land in, in the hands of the federal government is better than getting it owned locally by the state, correct? Yes. And to give you an example, Nevada is a great state to look at. They've had, at the time of statehood, they had 2.7 million acres. So the state of Nevada, the public, owned 2.7 million acres. Today, of that 2.7 million, they currently hold 3,000. So, since Nevada has become a state, they've sold over 99% of their public land that they own that statehood. That'd be devastating if that happened here. It would be. I mean, you're talking about 
you know, uh, you and I were talking a little earlier. I, I just went hunting this last weekend for grouse in the Schwalmaga National Forest. I mean, if that was given to Wisconsin, um, historically it's shown that eventually, and not right away, but over time, that would be sold to private interests. So Park Falls, for instance, is called the, the rough grouse capital of the world. And that's because we have so much public land up there that you can walk for days and just hunt grouse and not worry about running into some of these private land. Well, if that's given to the states, it's historically been shown that that's going to end up private land eventually and all our public hunting is going to be gone. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I, I really like having you on for this particular reason to kind of flesh this topic out. I've said in previous episodes of the of the show that um, – you know, I think public land for all of the woes that come with it where oh, it's crowded or, you know, it's hard to find access. And, and that can be true in some cases. But with all of that still comes the fact that it's a privilege to have access to public land and have the ability to go hunt it or recreate on it. It doesn't even need to be hunting, but specifically for the sake of this conversation, hunting it is a big deal. And look at places like, you know, England, they, there, there isn't public access. If you don't own land, you're not going. Right, and, and England has, you know, specifically in Europe, they have a much different model of conservation than we do. I mean, the the animals are owned by the landowner, and that's not true here. Mm-hmm. So the animals here are owned by the public, and they don't have they don't have an owner. So we and the public hold them in trust, and uh, we are responsible for them. And we're in England, you know, if the the deer is on your land, that's your deer specifically, and that's not the case in in the North American model of wildlife conservation. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, what are some of the issues that uh, BHA kind of helps with? I know I have a couple noted in the show notes here, um, access and opportunity, but specifically, you know, working to enhance access to public land. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So I, I give you one example in Wisconsin about what our chapter is going to be working on in this coming year is there's a, a law in Wisconsin that outlaws people from crossing railroads at anywhere except a designated railroad crossing. So in other words, uh, if, if you're hunting on public land and you see a railroad track running through it, unless there's a designated crossing there, you can't cross that railroad track. And if you do, you will be subject to a, a trespassing ticket from the railroad company. And so currently the DNR has said there are over 124 spots along the Mississippi river where, railroad um, the specific railroad inhibits the access to public lands and there are 121 dnr properties where the railroads bisect those public lands so in other words on 121 dnr properties you can't get from one side of the public land to the other side of the public land without trespassing so it this, this law specifically inhibits access from the public to the public's own land and that's something that we're looking to to uh, carve out an exception for hunters and fishers yeah. so they can cross, you know, the railroads and, and get at the land that we all own. Well, as a knee-jerk reaction, that's laughable that that's even a law. That seems ridiculous. You know, if I'm on public land, of course, I'm just going to walk across the railroad tracks. But it sounds like, you know, you know do they are they policing this at all, the railroad companies, to some extent? Or? Um, I, yes, they are. We've heard reports of people getting tickets where they are across the railroad tracks. Because the only way you can get there is, even if the the, uh, the sheriff doesn't see you cross, they'll give you a ticket because the only way you can get there is by crossing so the So by default, you trespass if you're on this property. There's no other access. Right. Yeah. 
And the strange thing about this is there was a bill, I think it was, it may have been 2015 or it could have been 2016 as well. But there was a bill that was introduced to carve out an exception for hunters and fishermen. And believe it or not, it had bipartisan support, which hmm. is very rare these days. Yep. And <laughs> for some reason, it also it also had bipartisan opposition and it, it died in committee. And I haven't gotten a good answer why that happened, hmm. but we're working on it and we're working to bring that bill back so um, we can restore access to you know, public plan for everyone. Sure. Well, that's a, that's a big deal. So I'm curious. I have um, two questions. I don't know if I'll get to both of them, but one of them is those designated crossing points along the, the property or along the railroad track, I guess, is, are those just the, the, the spots where you'd cross via the road? Or are there actually like, I don't know, because I've hunted near railroad tracks where this has been something that I would have, oddly enough, I didn't, I didn't actually cross them, but it would have been very likely that I would have. And, uh, you know, I never noticed any sign. It just said either A, don't, or, or B, that this is a designated spot. Is there anything like that happening currently? You know, I don't know on those specific properties. I know that the what you're talking about is a spot, a designated crossing where there's, you know, like the, the arm that comes down. That is a, that is a place you could cross. Sure. Um, but as far as these public lands, you know, there's, there's no designated crossing on those that's for sure yeah and that's why they've been identified by the dnr saying look this is where the railroad bisects these you can't get across it yeah that's crazy well that's good to know that you guys are working to solve that and and i would imagine my second question wasn't much much of a question i guess but more along the lines of the fact that you mentioned uh on your intro here that that um you practice law so do you bring a lot of um that professional personal experience into the equation on behalf of bha or is that something that they just are, they have a lot of people that do the lobbying and things of that nature on their behalf? Um, at a national level, I don't do as much of that. They, us as an organization, we, we have a, a larger national lobbying wing that, that does that type of thing. Mm-hmm. We have had some people from our chapter go up to Washington and talk to some of our legislators. But um, I mean, when it comes to reading the law and, of understanding the statute sure i can bring a little bit of my professional expertise in that just because i i understand how to to read that and, and understand it a little bit better than a non-lawyer but um i'm not an environmental lawyer or or a specific uh, conservation lawyer Makes so sense. i don't um i don't have any like specific professional experience in that okay well in any event it's just kind of cool that you can interpret it better than the rest of us yeah sure <laughs> you can kind of read the language um now, some of the some of the other pieces that I that I have here, just kind of breaking down the organization, public land and lands and waters. Um, one of the other things I that I noticed that I want to talk about. There's a couple of them, but we'll see what we get to here. But defending our public lands legacy. Um, I like the way that sounds. Can you enlighten us a little bit more about that? Sure, and that just that kind of goes back to what I was talking before about keeping federal public lands in in the federal government's hands, um, you know, all the way back to Theodore Roosevelt when he had the grand idea of making these public lands federal and keeping them in public hands. That's what we're talking about is defending that type of legacy. It's just very rare in this world that we have these wild places that we can go to and hunt. You know, I, I hunted in the flat top wilderness in uh, Colorado and you can walk for days out there and not run into any private land. That's super it's just, cool. It's unlike, unlike anything, you know, anywhere else in the world, and that's what we're trying to do, to keep and defend. Yep. Um, 
Man, I know it's interesting because now that I'm talking to you and I've had, I don't want to say you guys my crosshair, so to speak, but you know, the logo, the brand, it's something that I'm aware of. It's that, that uh, I forget, there's like a specific term for it, the free something in your reticulator or something like that in your brain where you see a red car once and I see them all over. But I've been seeing you guys all over and I noticed there's something about defending the boundary waters. And that's a place that I'm particularly a very large fan of, not for hunting, but recreating just in general and fishing. Mm-hmm. And it's just great to see that, that there's somebody advocating on behalf of the sportsmen. Yeah, and I know our Minnesota chapter has been very active in defending the boundary waters from a sulfide mine that was trying to go in yep. very close to the boundary that's waters. Nice. I would have you know, done some really bad damage to the water and the boundary waters. They were they're very, very active um, in defending you know, the boundary waters. Yeah, that's cool. Um so the the other thing I had here was the fair chase stuff and and you know that that strikes a chord with me. Um, I've I've worked in the you know advertising marketing field for some time and oddly enough I've I've come across companies that I fundamentally disagreed with and the mis the misunderstanding or whatever that people may have had that I worked with colleagues were like oh you're a hunter you should definitely take this account this is a you know, a, a ranch or whatever it is. I'm not going to give away any names or anything, but um, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's not hunting in my opinion. So, you know, okay, whatever. Um, but one of the things you guys advocate for is fair chase, and I can get down with that any day of the week. So let's maybe air that one out a little bit. Sure. So, you know, we, we obviously advocate for fair chase and giving the animals every opportunity to use their skill to escape us. One of the, give you an example, there's a, there's a bill that's currently sitting in a committee in the uh, Wisconsin legislature that would double fence the deer preserves or deer farms in Wisconsin. Um, we are, I mean, our organization, BHA, is against hunting behind a fence, any sort of a fence, whether it's a 80-acre high fence operation or a 3,000-acre high fence operation. So we are we're just against that on an ethical level. I don't I, I hesitate to use the word hunting when we're talking about that yep. type of activity, but yeah, I guess it's just the easiest term to use at this point. But I, I don't I don't consider it hunting, I consider it kind of pretending to go out there and hunt. And um, we are against that. We we're also against it because it endangers our wild herd. I mean C W D is a huge issue in Wisconsin and it's just going to get bigger as the years go on. And those places are ripe for CWD, and they're very easy to get the CWD from those captive herds out into our wild herds. In fact, it was just, I think, a couple of weeks ago in Shawano County, a deer farm tested positive, a deer in a deer farm tested positive for CWD. And so they can transfer, the, the captive herds can transfer CWD to the wild herds by, you know, the, the deer lick each other through the fence. Yep. And so we'd be for double fencing it so so the wild herd can't get to the captive herd. So no cross-contamination so things or trans- right. transferring of that. But there's another right. there's another piece of it that, um, you know, as far as just the viewpoint that people have on hunting where I think, and you could talk about this, I think this is, I got this from you. So it was, uh, <laughs> you know, where basically if people think that that's what hunting is, it's giving the rest of us a bad name, so to speak. You know, I think a lot of the, the people that may participate in these hunting preserves and ranches and things of that nature, whatever you want to call them, um, I feel you go to their websites and it's literally, you pick the buck that you want to shoot almost exactly, but at least to the score. And then the, the billable increases, 
you know, based on the type of animal you want to shoot and the score of the rack. And it's like, all right, well, for $3,000, I'm going to shoot this Boone and Crockett, but for 5000 I might go to a, you know, a 180 class or whatever it might be. And that's just not the way that it is. It's not the way that the rest of us and, and the majority of us partake in hunting. Yeah, and it's not the way it's not the way we want to put partake in hunting. I mean, if there's zero skill involved when you can go to a website and for you know thousand dollars more shoot a 180 class buck instead of a 175 class buck. You know, you're not paying a thousand dollars to do it. You're probably paying ten thousand dollars to shoot a buck like that. But there's no skill involved in that. I mean, it's just paying money to do it. And like you said before, the issue is that it's it's giving all of us a bad name because you're not you're not showing respect for the wildlife. You're not uh, showing your skill off as a woodsman. And having that image problem is a big deal because the vast majority of the people of the people in the United States do not hunt. And so we are hunting at their pleasure. Like we are hunting because they allow us to hunt. If they decide, if the the majority of the people in the United States decide tomorrow that they don't want us hunting, they can go to the ballot box and elect politicians that are completely anti-hunting and we will not hunt anymore. And that will be it. That's how a democracy works. So we have to be very careful about our image and very careful about what, how, how we're portrayed and, and what type of hunters we want to be. Because, like I said, the vast majority of the population does not hunt. And if they decide that they don't want us to hunt anymore, we won't. Yep. Yep. And I think that's a pretty big point because I don't know that I considered that until you say this. So it's like, wow, that there's the magnitude and the real value and benefit of the organization as a whole in that really it's helping preserve what we stand for and making sure that it's perceived that way by the greater population who doesn't hunt. So they don't think we're just out there murdering animals, (laughs) you know, for the sake of pure sport. And, and that's just not it. I think 90 some percent of hunters that I've ever talked to or that I will ever talk to or that we could ever sample and talk to would say that it's not about the kill. And you got your couple out there that, you know, are all about that part of it. But by and large, it's the experience. We're lucky to see an animal on public land and we're even luckier to harvest one. And when we do, we, we have remorse for the animal. We respect the animal and we're thankful to usually to God that we got the bounty and then we get to feed our family. And if not to say anything about, there's nothing wrong with trophy hunting, but sometimes you just graduate and, and you need a bigger challenge. So the guys and gals that might be out there getting that animal with the bigger rack, it's because that's a harder animal to get, you know? Right. Absolutely. And you know, trophy hunting, that's a, that's a term that's, I think, kind of loaded, um, not yeah. kind of loaded. It is loaded, but someone who wants to kill a mature whitetail, you know, a four and a half year old whitetail, it's not necessarily that they're trophy hunting. They're looking for a larger challenge than just killing a year and a half old whitetail. Right. The one that just walks and, in front of you haphazardly. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but like I said, one, one of the best things about BHA is that if you come to any of our, and we have events throughout the state, so we'll hold pint nights where we just come to a bar and we, um, talk about hunting and fishing, talk about issues. And that's it. We have bigger events, a full draw film tour, which is um, a bunch of short bow hunting films, usually Western bow hunting films. And we'll show that in a theater and we'll have raffle prizes and um, everybody can come out and watch that type of thing. But if you come to any of our events and you meet some of our leadership and you meet people that are BHA members, there are some of the most dedicated hunters and fishermen you'll ever meet. 
um, it's really a terrific group of people to come and talk to because everyone walks the walk. Um, yeah. They don't just talk the talk in BHA. And that's one thing I've noticed since I've been part of the organization. And, you know, the men and women that are part of it are, are really terrific uh, spokesmen for for the passion that we all have for hunting and fishing. So with that said, how do people um... – well, let's back up just one sec. We'll get to that in just a moment. But like, how many how many states have chapters? Is it the majority of states that have chapters the majority, as far as the reach? Yeah, the majority do now. All of the western states have chapters. I mean, I wish I could give you an exact number. Oh, that's I, totally I, cool. I, I, I can't. But yeah, the majority of states do have chapters. Yep. Sure. And then, so then how do people become involved? And, and are there tiers or different levels of involvement um, for the people listening that would want to kind of take action or, or help out? Sure. So the first thing you have to do is go and join BHA. So you just go to the website, get on there and join. It's $25 a year for a annual like single membership. I think it's $35 a year for a family membership. So it's super affordable. Half of that money, if you're in Wisconsin, stays in Wisconsin. So you will, half of it will go to the national organization and then half will come to our chapter to, to help fight the good fight here in Wisconsin. And if you want to get more involved, there's an email address on there that will come straight to me and just shoot me an email saying, hey, I'd, I'd like to get more involved. I'd like to know more about what's going on in Wisconsin. We will have, uh, well, we do have a newsletter that currently comes out in Wisconsin that will give you kind of the issues that's going on and then all the events that are, that are happening. So the, the best thing you can do to get involved is start coming to events, start meeting some of our leadership, start meeting more of our members, and then once you do that, um, you know, I can put a, a name with a face and cool. get you more involved and, and helping out. Super cool. And then as far as um, those types of events, is there like a calendar of events on the social media and or like the Wisconsin chapter portion of the, of the website? So people can kind of, oh, yeah. okay, there's something going on. Oh, that's going to be close by, or this will be, you know, whatever that looks like. Yeah. We're working on getting a little bit better at that. We have a tentative, we, it's not announced yet. We have a tentative calendar for 2018. Cool. So okay. we'll be as soon as we as soon as we kind of lock down some dates and some venues or stuff, we'll we'll let everyone know, you know, when the dates are for 2018. Rock on. Well, that's awesome. Um, I think that's a great intro to BHA. I think anybody that's interested should definitely go to the website. Um, while you were talking about how to become a member, I went to the website myself. I clicked right on the homepage, join us, and then it takes you right to pick what you want to be. And for me, it'd be individual. And then you, you go ahead and you click the right at the bottom of that. It says uh, join today. So then you click that and it takes you to the amount, 25 bucks. You enter your information and you pay. And then that's it. So it's it's very easy. I encourage anybody that's a sportsman that wants to keep lands in the, the, the hands of the, the national government as opposed to the state um, to protect conservation and our land in Wisconsin that we, that we cherish and love and sometimes piss and moan about, but we love. <laughs> um, <laughs> keep you know, public lands in public hands. That's yep. the slogan. That's perfect. What a great slogan. It's easy to remember. It sounds good. Makes sense. It's all the good, all the good things a slogan should be. Well, great. Um, thanks so much, Jeff, for taking time out of the woods and uh, out of your day. I know you're a busy guy, so it means a lot to us and the listeners. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Eric. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Looking for a spot to hunt? Download the free Where to Hunt app for your smartphone today. Avoid hunters, see less people, see more deer. With the Where to Hunt app, you will know where other hunters are before you see them. Just search Where to Hunt from the App Store to download today.
All right, so the tip of the week this week is an interesting one. It's a tip and it's an ask. Um, let's see here. Tip of the week. I shared an article on the Where to Hunt Facebook page from bowhunting.com that talked about the biggest, I think the article is actually titled, the biggest bow hunting mistakes. So I'm like, all right, let's see how many of these I've made. And I've made quite a few of them. <laughs> Shocker. Um, one of them being not paying attention. And I think this is interesting because, uh, you know, I do doze off from time to time when I'm out hunting. So much so that one time I was so, so tired that I climbed down the stand, sat at the base of the tree, simply for the fact, so I could sleep. Because I was like, I'm going to fall out of the stand or, or die, die trying to stay awake. Um, vice versa. Anyways, so not paying attention is kind of a big one. And uh, that definitely kind of plays a role today with technology because we, a lot of us have our smartphones in our hand because we want to read the wind. We want to take pictures. We want to stay in contact with our, you know, um, our hunting party and our buddies. And we want to, you know, text, I got one or one's coming your way, whatever it might be. There's a lot of reasons short of just not being able to stay awake um, where you might not be paying attention. And I wish I knew how many deer I may have missed by falling asleep and or not paying attention. And I know it, it sounds interesting to say like, oh, I pay attention. I'm, I'm hardcore, blah, blah, blah. But we all have fallen victim to it. And maybe not all of us. Maybe there's the guys that um, are super awake and uh, never fall asleep and don't ever bring their cell phones with them and only focus on deer hunting. And that might be the case for those few people out there. But the rest of us, admit it, you might not pay attention all of the time. So that being said, my tip of the week is to pay pay attention. Um, try, try, uh, leaving the phone back at least one or two hunts this season. Um, try making sure you maybe just put it somewhere where it's accessible, but not immediately. Um, and, or this is where the ass comes into play because I can be tired. Um, I think I've acclimated quite a bit with the birth of a baby, but what do you do to stay awake in the stand or on the ground or in the blind? Um, short of moving around, which on public property isn't always going to be a great thing because you might bump into other guys or gals. But do you drink coffee? I Some guy told me he drinks syrup. He'll literally just chug a bunch of syrup. Um, so that's the kind of ask I'm looking for, any sort of tips. If you want to email that, post it on social media. Maybe I'll ask the question on social media and kind of see what people say, and I'll, I'll um, spout that off on the next show next week on Monday. But uh, that's that's tip of the week. Pay attention. Stay awake. Put your phone away. Down. Leave it in the truck, car, whatever. And uh, you might just see more deer than you wouldn't than you would have if you weren't looking. So um, that said, everybody, I hope you have a great a great week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, like I said at the beginning, a rating would mean a ton to me. I really appreciate the feedback. Um, have a great week and uh, hum public.